be recorded. Um, so it's great to, to be together again uh, this evening. If you've got your Bibles, if you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4, we've already had Mike uh, just draw our attention to some of the verses there. We're going to be um, spending a bit of time there this evening. Just while you're finding your way there, um, Steph actually this week she got a, a new watch and it's quite a fancy watch. It's fancier than any, any watch I've ever had and she turned to me yesterday and she told me how many hours she had been standing up for that day because the watch had told her. And it's amazing the things that watches can record now, particularly if you're someone who likes to keep an eye on your fitness and health. Uh, it can tell you how long you've been standing up for, how many times you've gone up the stairs, uh, how far you've walked, what speed you've walked, where you've been. Uh, if you can work out how long you've been standing, you can probably work out how long you've been sitting and lying down. And I guess the idea is to give people as much information as they can to help make good decisions and what to prioritize, maybe what they need to focus on in terms of their awareness, in terms of physical health, you know, whether we're thinking about sitting, walking or standing. And you may see where I'm going with this because it reminded me very much of our current series that we're working through based in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, which we've called Sit, Walk and Stand. But hopefully by now you've realized that the focus of Paul's letter isn't about our physical health, uh, but actually it's in terms of uh, in terms of who we are in God, what it means to be in Christ, and then what that means in terms of what our lives are to look like. And we've called it Sit, Walk, Stand, because uh, as Watchman Nee really helpfully pointed out in his book on Ephesians, really that's the, the sequence, if you like, that we see, the pattern that we see that Paul gives to us. And the first three chapters, if you remember, all about sitting. It's about what has God done for us. And who has he made us to be in Jesus? And we sit in the goodness of that and we rest in that. And then in chapter four onwards, we're going to look at this command to, to walk. What does it look like to live our lives uh, for God and in relationship with God? And then right towards the end of the letter that's um, speaking about with this call that we have to stand as well. And again, so this is about uh, an awareness for us in terms of not just not in terms of physical health, but actually just in terms of our, our very being, everything that makes us us. Uh, Paul gives us this really helpful overview, really, in terms of uh, what are our priorities to be? Where should we focus our attention and our thoughts on? And this this afternoon, this evening, we're actually there's going to be you'll see this kind of change of focus over the last six weeks, I think it's been. Uh, we've been focusing a lot on the sitting aspect of it. Again, what is it that God has done for us? And we've spent lots of time just kind of marinating in that and, and resting in that. Uh, and we're going to change the focus to, to walk in and this command that Paul gives to walk. So we're going to be, the focus is going to shift now more from what, what has God done for us and what does that mean? But actually, what does it then look like to live that out and to live out those truths. So we're going to read from chapter four from the beginning, just six verses. Uh, we had a whole chapter last week. Mike did chapter the whole of chapter three. We've got just six verses today. So from the beginning of chapter four, and you'll see right at the start where this kind of shift in Paul's focus and attention comes. He continues, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, 
just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, in my preparation, I don't know if I've shared this with you before or not, but when it comes to a time when I'm speaking, what I'll generally do is I'll print out the verses that I'm speaking on. I'll get them on a piece of paper, I'll make it blow it up nice and big, spread it out, and then I'll just scribble thoughts and I'll highlight bits and I'll just kind of, it's my space really just to think things through. But what I'm doing, if I'm not careful, is that I end up just with a, a snapshot of what um, of what the scriptures are saying, but I've kind of removed it, if you like, from the wider context of the verses that, that it's set within. And it's fine practically in, in the sense that it helps me just to, as part of my process, but I have to remember that these verses that we, we look at, they don't just stand on their own. We have to think about what comes before and what comes after because they fit within a wider context. And while we have this shift, Paul now shifts his focus to from sitting to, to walking, what it looks like, again, to live for God in relationship with God. There's that shift, but it has to stand within the context of everything that's come before. We've not moved on and left behind what comes before. And Paul makes that clear. He starts at the beginning of chapter four. He says, I, therefore... He's saying, because of everything that has come before this, because of everything that I've already shared with you, because of everything that I've already reminded you, because all of those things are true, therefore, this is how you are to walk. This is what I'm urging you to walk in. You see, it's not these aren't unrelated or distinct thoughts from what has come before. You see, in order to walk, you have to sit. And as we've been thinking about that over those last weeks, what it means to sit in order to walk, you have to sit. You have to respond fully to the gospel. So at this point, we're going to ask ourselves, and OK, so what has come before? What has Paul shared with the church already? Paul's already shared with the church that in Jesus, we have been adopted into God's family. We've been made sons and daughters of the living God. How in Jesus, we have received forgiveness of sins how in jesus we have a hope that is secure an inheritance that is secure for us how in jesus we are now seated at the right hand of the father that we are now in christ and we are seated with him in the heavenly places we've learned and seen that actually it, this wasn't this isn't good news just for the jews but for gentiles as well how jesus has made a way for all people firstly to be united to god but also to be united to one another where barriers and uh, and conflicts may may uh, exist may be there actually jesus has made a way for those things to be um kind of uh, for, for us to, to, to still be united together. And then last week, Mike was speaking about the mystery of the gospel and how God has revealed the mystery of the gospel to the church and through the church, it will be revealed wider as well. And it's all of these truths that we stand on when we think about, okay, then what does it look like to walk? What does it look like to live a life for God and in fellowship with him? And all of these things that Paul's laid out before and all of these truths that he's laid down if you like these foundations they help it helps us to understand what paul means when he urges the church then to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel one way we could look at that is to think if we're thinking of what does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel we can think okay does that mean then that we've somehow got to show that we that we deserve it is that what it means if that's worthy of the gospel but it's not that 
It's not about repaying anything. It's not about showing that we deserve it. Everything that Paul has said up until this point shows us that that is absolutely not what he is saying. This is all about grace. This is all a work of God. It's not about what needs to be repaid. It's not about showing that you deserve it. I think Phil Moore, he really helpfully puts it like this. He says that as you sit, you finally learn how to walk. That's what it means to walk in, 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 a, in a manner worthy of the gospel. It means that because you've been sat with Christ in the heavenly places, because you've received, received forgiveness, not by works, but through grace, through faith in, in, in Jesus, um, as you sit in that place, you actually learn then how it is that we are to walk. It flows from that place rather than us having to achieve or show that we deserve anything. You can think of it like this. I now walk like this. I live my life in, in this way because I am now able to do so. I wasn't able to live the way that God called me to apart from Jesus and apart from what he's done. But because of what he's done, I'm going to live this way because I can and because I am able to do so. And over the remaining chapters, uh, it wouldn't have been chapters, obviously, when Paul wrote it. We kind of uh, we, we've put those in there. But over the remaining verses and Paul's remaining words within this letter, it's going to Paul reveals to us what it does look like to walk in this manner. He reveals to us what it looks like to walk in a way that is worthy of the gospel. He's going to talk about the gifts that God has given to the church. He's going to speak about new life, putting off the old self. He's going to speak about what it looks like to walk in love. He's going to show us what it looks like to work this out relationally. But Paul's starting point is unity. That's Paul's starting point, And that's what we've just read. What does it look like to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel? Paul's starting point is about unity. You see, in a very significant and very important way, how we respond to the gospel, how we respond, sorry, how we view and understand the call of God on our lives is expressed in how we relate to others. It's to do with how we relate to God, but also significantly in terms of how we relate to others. We can put it this way. It's about being brothers and sisters together. Those who God has brought together, what does it look like for us to live out, uh, to, to walk together well? Now, before we dig into what that looks like, and Paul does explain that to us in verse two, and we're going to come back to that and think a little bit more about what it looks like. We must understand that unity is not something that we create. It's something that we maintain. It's possible for us to believe or to feel that it's our responsibility to create unity, that it's our responsibility to create fellowship and, 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 and kind of togetherness, if you like, if I can put it that way. But the truth is, is that God has already done that. Any unity that we have is a work of God. Paul speaks about it, doesn't he, in these verses that we've just read. He speaks about the unity of the spirit, the unity that we have with God, the unity that we have with one another is something that has been created and established by God through the spirit. So it's not ours to create, rather it is ours to maintain. God has done it, but we preserve it. We guard it. We attend to it. We do not neglect it. And the reality is, is that we cannot express unity on our own. You can't have unity by yourself. It has to be outworked within community. 
And as we look at Paul's heart for us, we see it's worked out within the church, mainly probably through the local church, through that body that we are committed to and connected into, but also in the universal church as well, with brothers and sisters across the globe, with brothers and sisters across history, we are united with them because of what God has done for us and because of the work that God has done in us and in our lives. The reality is, is that it can be hard sometimes. Even within the church, it can be, it can be hard. We can find frustrations because people are different to us. We have different ways of thinking, different ways of doing stuff. People move at different speeds and we can get frustrated. Uh, we, there can be conflicts that arise. Uh, sometimes it can even be painful. We might experience hurt within the church. And that will happen when you get imperfect people together but what we we should be seeking and what we should be really working towards and seeking to maintain is the unity that God has called us to I really feel it's important for me to say at this point you know sometimes there are contexts and settings whether churches or fellowships where the culture is 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 that toxic or uh, abusive where actually it's right and it's right to walk away from those settings but actually we need to realize that God has where we can is to be out working community together and seeking to maintain unity together that's God's heart for us in uh in John chapter 20 sorry John chapter 17 verse 20 to 21 we see Jesus heart for his followers for his disciples he says I do not ask for these only he's praying to the father he says I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus' heart for the disciples, for his followers, for Christians, is to be those that are united, not just to the Father, but to one another, that they should be one. And in doing so, that those who aren't yet part of God's family will look and see who we belong to. A little earlier in Ephesians chapter 3, this is what Mike was sharing with us last week. Paul actually says that it is through the church that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You see, God has a purpose for the gathered people of God as the church to come together that is he's chosen the, the the church to be that place where the manifold wisdom of god is expressed as we live out life together i was also just um i came across something that was written by a guy named uh, ray Auckland that some of you may be aware of a, a pastor in in america uh, and he, until fairly recently, was leading um, Emmanuel Church in, in Nashville. And he was writing, he wrote this, and, and he shared this just today. I thought the timing of it was great as we were thinking about what does it look like to kind of outwork community together and the importance of unity. He said that the best therapy that I've ever experienced is simple. It's just being among Christian friends, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, who like me, and aren't trying to fix me. Adding up the brief greetings, the lengthy conversations, the songs sung, the discoveries shared, 
the laughter and the tears, all of it building up over 11 years, the cumulative effect was, for me, life-transforming. It was how the category gospel culture came into clarity. I finally saw how the theological truth of the gospel proves itself in the relational beauty of the gospel. Whenever the doctrine is allowed to exert its full and intended authority, faithfulness is more than sound biblical doctrine. It includes shared human beauty. You see, what he's saying is this, is that we, we have the theological truth of the gospel, that which we understand and know to be true, but it has to uh, kind of express itself and, and prove itself within the relational beauty of the gospel. How does it affect our lives? How does it impact the way that we are with one another and towards one another? It needs to find its expression through community and through relationship. And it needs to do that for us, but also for the world to look in on and to see what it is that God has done, what it means to be in God's family, what it means to be part of God's church. It's not just about what we know, it includes a shared human beauty that we live out together. You know, when I was just today, as I was kind of bringing some preparation and, and thoughts together, I was uh, such a lovely day. Uh, I went to the rack and I sat on a bench, had some notes, had my pen, and I was just seeking God and, and just sharing, bringing some things together for today. And it was amazing as I looked around, there, was, there were so many different groups and communities of people there. You had families there. You had in the playgrounds, you had uh, those with children who were meeting up with other people who were in a similar season of life. There was groups of people playing tennis. There was even a, a group of young ladies who had met up to do some roller skating and, and inline skating together. And there's just groups of people with shared passions in similar seasons of life who were enjoying being together. And it's good that we do that. And it's important that we do that as we find places where we can express and enjoy the things that, that, that we're passionate about and the things that we enjoy and sharing life with people who are in similar seasons of life than we are. And it's good. But this isn't what the scriptures speak of when they speak about the unity that we have in God. It's more than just having something in common. It's more than just having a shared interest or being in a similar season of life to other people. Paul tells us this. He says that there is one body and one spirit. This is the unity. This is where the unity comes from. Not just about the fact that we've got something in common or a common interest or a common passion. There is one body, the church, and there is one spirit. Earlier on in this season, in this series, sorry, when we were in chapter two, Paul writes this, talking about Jews and Gentiles being brought together into God's family. He says that he, speaking of, of um, it says that he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And if we jump to verse 22, it says that in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. You see what God has done 
in bringing people together. It wasn't that we had these 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 people who were were, were separate and uh, and and in conflict and. Uh, they, they didn't have a meeting to come together to broker peace and find some way to coexist and live alongside one another. What Paul makes very clear is this, is that it is Jesus that is the only way to the Father. It is the Jesus who brings reconciliation and unites people first and foremost to God, but also to one another. It's, it's whatever peace we know with him and with one another is entirely a work of God's. It is entirely a work of grace. We are all saved the same way. Our stories will be different, but none of us came into relationship with God through any other way than by putting our trust in the person and work of Jesus. You see, it's more than just having a common interest. The unity that we have is because there is one body and because there is one spirit. There is one hope. There is one Lord. There is one faith. There is one baptism. There is one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Any unity we have is found in him. We don't create it, but we're called to maintain it. So what does walking in unity look like? Let's just spend a few moments just thinking about that. What does walking in unity look like? It looks like this. It looks like that we are to walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Maybe that's not what we would have expected it to look like. The life that God has called us to. What does it look like to live according to the call of God in our lives? And maybe for those who are kind of outside of the church, if you like looking in, if you were to say, what do you think it looks like to walk with God or to walk for God? Is that what people would say? But as we look at this way of living, if you look at this way in which we are called to walk, this way of walking that maintains the unity of the spirit, it's not wishy-washy or passive it's not coddling, it's not distance, instead it's courageous, it's bold, it's sacrificial, it's costly, it's countercultural. But you know what else it is? It's absolutely beautiful. When people live together in that way, when people's uh, thought is, how can I serve you through humility and gentleness and patience? How can I bear with you in love? In the midst of our disagreements, in the midst of frustrations, in the midst of um, where I feel like maybe you're not moving at the pace you need to or, 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 or how I see things going. Actually, how can I look to, to, to serve you the best I can in that way? It's a really beautiful thing. In 1 Thessalonians 5, this, these are some verses that I've been thinking on quite a bit of late. This is Paul writing again, but he says this. This is his instruction to the church. He says, that we are to, uh, he says, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Similar to what we've just been thinking about, this is the call to be those who uh, we, we, we 
those who are, are maybe lazy and idle, actually there's time to come alongside and pull them out of it and encourage them and, and challenge them to kind of step into what God has got for them in terms of service. But it's also to be there to encourage those who are struggling and feeling faint hearted, not sure how they can, can carry on to encourage them to draw alongside them. But it's also to help the weak, those who are in places where they're really not able to help themselves. But in their place, we step up and we say, how can we love you and how can we serve you and how can we help you? That is what it looks like to live in a manner that is worthy of the calling that God has put upon our life as we're seeking to maintain the unity that God has created and called us to. Matthew 20, 28, and, and in other places actually throughout the Gospels, we're told that Jesus came not to be safe, not to serve, so not to be served, but to serve. This was absolutely counter to what many expected to what many had hoped for, that the Savior, the Messiah, would be like. And yet Jesus came, the Son of God came, not to be served, but to serve. You see, when we sit first, when we rest in the gospel, when we recognize that we've been called to sit in the goodness of what God has done for us, when we recognize that we are seated at the right hand of the Father with Jesus in, in the heavenly places, we learn that walking in a manner worthy of the calling is the way of Jesus. It's to live the way that Jesus lived. To be counter to what people would expect. See, when we sit and rest in what Christ has done for us, and in us, as we reflect on how he has treated us, we learn to walk like him. We learn to walk like him. We don't walk from a place of what can I do to bring myself to God or make myself good enough for God or deserving of God's favor, deserving of God's attention. Actually, when we sit first, when we fully respond to the gospel to say, God, I know it's nothing that I've done. It's fully undeserved. It's entirely a, a work of, of grace, a gift of grace, not by works, but by faith. That my sins have been forgiven, that I'm seated in the heavenly places, that I've received an inheritance that is waiting for me, that I have hope that goes beyond the grave, that I've been reconciled not only to you, but to, to those, even those that I would consider my enemies. When we start from that place, and we rest in what God has done for us and we reflect on how he's treated us. We learn to walk like him and we walk out from that place. So I just want to ask a, a, a question of us, each of us to consider. Just because I think as Paul's kind of been raising this, bringing this to our attention in this letter is this is how are we doing in maintaining unity? Not creating unity. But how are we doing, each of us doing, in maintaining unity? How are we doing individually? How are we doing corporately? As a church, as a fellowship, how are we doing in maintaining unity? When we look at ourselves, when we look at the church, do we see humility and gentleness and patience and love in forbearance? 
Or do we see moments where we think more highly of ourselves than others? Do we see moments where actually we've thought, actually, I need my needs to be met first before actually seeking how can I look to meet someone else's needs? Instead of patience, do we see moments where actually we're impatient and frustrated with others and acting from a place of impatience? Rather than treating people with gentleness, are we sometimes recognizing that we've, that rather than, than gentleness, there's been harshness in the way that we've either dealt with people or spoken about people? You know, there are absolutely moments where we want to uh, reflect on what we're doing individually and, and for us as a church and think about other are there other ways in which we can be doing things? Is this the best way to grow into everything God has for us? Are there things we need to change? And they're good questions to ask. And in some way, it's good to be critical in some ways. But actually, do we actually find more often than not, we're being critical rather than supportive and encouraging? Maybe there's a mixture of all of those things put in together. The reason I'm asking this isn't to, to condemn us. It's not to condemn us in any way, but actually it's good for us to take stock and to hear what God would say to us. To say, God, as you call us to be those who uh, are, are seeking to be, to be those who maintain unity, actually, what does that look like in my life? Are there areas that I need to, to be aware of? Are there things that I need to be growing in and seeking to grow in? The answer is not to try harder. Paul's made that absolutely clear in the chapters that have come before this. The answer to all of this is not to try harder. It's not about what can I achieve? What can I do to make things right or to make growth happen? The reality is in, to live in unity with one another, it does take some effort. But I don't know if any of you noticed this, but the, the list that Paul gave us in terms of humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one, one another in love is very, very similar to the, the list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And it helps us to realize that it's the Spirit who brings unity, but it's also the, the Holy Spirit who produces Christ-like fruit within us. And if we want to be growing ever more in humility and gentleness and patience, bearing in one another in love, then it's the Holy Spirit who, who will produce that within us but yes it does take some effort to work that out with one another but here's the key to it all is that we must abide we must abide in christ we must rest in him daily to make that decision daily that i'm gonna i'm gonna abide in you i'm gonna rest in you Another way we can say about that, if it fits in more with how our series has gone, is this. We sit. We watch. And we learn. We ask the Holy Spirit to come and, 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 and help us to grow. For Christ-likeness to become ever more our dominant character. We pray. We ask God to help us in our weaknesses. We ask God to help us in those moments of struggle. We ask God to, to grow us and to produce more of that Christ-like fruit 
within us. We spend time in the word. We rest and sit in the word. We reflect on the wonders of the gospel and we look again at the, what it is that God has called us to and the life that God has called us to. I'm just going to pray for us. If that's okay, I'd love you just to pray for yourself, not just for yourself, but pray for, for the church as well. Can I really encourage you over the coming days and over the coming weeks? I've got two things really that, that I, I want us to, to, to be bringing before God in prayer. The first is this, is to thank God for uniting us to him and to one another. That's the only reason we're talking about any of this is because what God has done for us. So let's be those who thank God for what he's done for us. Whatever unity we have, whatever reconciliation we have, is, it's, it's him who's done it for us. But then let's also pray for, for us individually, but for us as a church, to continue in unity. To continue to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. That we would live in ways that reflect the call that God has put upon our lives. That evermore we would walk together in humility and gentleness and patience and in loving forbearance with one another. It's good to pray for those things. The reason it's good to pray for those things is we've read already that was Jesus' prayer for us. That's Jesus' heart for us. That we would be one as he and the Father are one. Let's pray that. For one another as well let's pray that for our church family that we would be one that we would be walking in unity walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called that it never comes out of a place of our own strength or our own determination but entirely through what god is going to do through us by his spirit i'm going to pray for us just pray where you are would be great to do that and again just would really encourage you over the coming days to do that as uh, our community gatherings meet this week as well, it'd be a good time. While we're together, let's pray this together as well. Give thanks for, for what God has done and let's just pray that we would continue to walk well together and walk in unity together. So, Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for all of the wonders of the gospel that we've been discovering over the last few weeks. As Paul laid them out to the church those thousands of years ago, we thank you that those truths remain today. We want to thank you, God, that whatever unity we have with you and with others is, is your, it's your doing, it's your work. Lord, we want to thank you for what you've done from the lives that you called us out of. As those who are far from you, and yet you've drawn us close to you, to be sons and daughters, members of your family, seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Lord, we thank you. God, we thank you. That almost seems too small a word for what you've done for us. But God, we thank you. And Lord, we thank you for brothers and sisters. We thank you that in your wisdom and in your love and your grace towards us, you've called us to, to live out our lives together, to live out this calling 
together and to be those who maintain the unity that you have won for us, that unity that you have created for us to live in. We say, would you help us by your spirit? The same spirit who, who created that bond of peace in the first place, would you just help us, Holy Spirit, to continue to walk in unity together? I pray evermore for humility and gentleness and patience and love and forbearance to be what characterizes us as your people. That we would love one another well, that we would serve one another well. Lord, that when frustrations and conflict and, and challenges come up, and as, as they will do, that actually you would help us to walk through those times well. All the while seeking to maintain the unity that you've called us to. We pray that you would help us to continue to walk from a place of sitting, place of sitting in the truth of the gospel. That as we look to Jesus, that we would watch and we would learn. We would evermore walk the way that, 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 that Jesus himself walked. Lord, we want to love one another well. Lord, we also want to demonstrate to the world who we belong to. What it means to be united to the creator of all things. To be united to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. To be united to Father God. Lord, as we do so, that many would look on and would see something that is so beautiful that it witnesses for you in their lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.